Welcome, everybody, to the Healing Place podcast. I am your host, Terry Welbrock. Excited to have with me today, Rob Rodriguez. So welcome, Rob. Hi. Thank you for having me. I awesome. appreciate it. Yeah, glad to have you here. So I'm going to do the quick uh, little reading of what it is you do, and then I'll let you extend on that. So founder and director of the Family Hub, a nonprofit helping families heal from traumatic events, co-author of Exploring Trauma, Building Resilience, a curriculum for men. And yeah, so talk to us about that. Great. Um, I um, Well, thanks again. I, I started out as a uh, licensed alcohol and drug counselor um, and working primarily with adolescents. And then I had a lot of contact with family members at that time. Um, and my contacts with them uh, sort of led me to the initial thinking that uh, maybe families and family members weren't um, as interested in the uh, treatment process as, as we were. Um, and I started to build a sort of resentment about that. And um, uh, one thing I've learned about myself is if I'm resenting something, I, I better look into it. And um, the more research I did, the more I became uh, aware that they just, uh, well, families weren't aware of what was going on. Uh, and they had a lot of uh, uh, barriers, both, uh, you know, social thinking barriers, uh, emotional barriers, um, knowledge barriers, and, and a lot of them struggled with access as well. So I, as I became more and more uh, educated about it, um, it led me to uh, seek uh, licensure as a marriage and family therapist. Um, and with the addition, with the idea to work with individuals who and families who struggled with addiction at that time, it's since expanded to other behavioral and mental and emotional issues. Um, but I, I, I strongly be, I became very passionate about reaching families who um, had no, no way of uh, accessing care. Um, you know, the culture and the uh, uh, reality is that a lot of families are kept from, from participating in treatment because, you know, um, third-party payers may, may not pay for it. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, that led to a kind of a cyclical way of thinking, and um, uh, I wanted to relieve that. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. I worked uh, for a while in a mental health agency in the Cincinnati mm -hmm. area um, through the Head Start program and Early Head Start, mm -hmm. as well as mental health, the mental health side. I mean, that was the early education part, the mental health side. Um, and yeah, how, how much I'd see, especially in the school systems, with mm -hmm. parents just not knowing mm -hmm. what to do and where to turn mm -hmm. and how to get help for their child. Um, but also, like you said, almost like not being able to hear it, I think because they were caught in their own world of struggle. Um, mm -hmm. So they mm -hmm. didn't know what to do. Yeah, yeah and, you know, the <clears throat> over 
abundance of psychobabble out there for uh, everyone to consume, you know, and diagnoses. Um, there, there's a lot of, and I understand the, uh, the need for diagnosis and, and, and how important it is. But um, for family members, it, it sometimes leads to a barrier in their own healing because yeah. they're focusing so much on how to control this diagnosis and, and how to control their loved one's behaviors that they're missing out on, on, on the uh, larger systemic piece yeah. um, that, that, that needs to be addressed in order for everyone to heal. Right. Now, we've yeah. connected through ACEs connection, correct? Yes, yes. Yeah. Wow, I'm sure you know just what a powerful impact that has had. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, obviously, your curriculum for men that you've written mm-hmm. uh, focuses on resilience and that, that healing the trauma history part of it. Right. So we, we, um, uh, we are, I, I, I also operate a for-profit um, called Family Recovery Resource Experts. Uh, that is for families fortunate enough to be able to pay uh, for services out of pocket. And um, what we have developed in, in this section, uh, in this organization, is a way of doing intensive family workshops. Um, I became uh, irritated with what I call repeated first sessions, multiple first sessions. So the family and I get together. I try my best to present my best foot forward, and they do as well. And then um, I am strategic and structured, uh, also solution-focused and narrative. So I am thinking, you know, of ways that I could – have them complete assignments at home, and then it doesn't get done. Uh, we struggle. We come in. Um, we talk about it the next week, and uh, in this, uh, the uh, the cow or the crisis of the week is introduced. Usually within ten minutes left of the session, and we referee an argument and it repeated several times. Someone will get frustrated and therapy just doesn't work. We develop these workshops because we can get a family for a weekend, uh, 16 hours or so uh, of actual intensive work uh, preceded by questionnaires and history taking uh, uh, and um, interviews so that then it could be customized to their particular issue. Wow, that's uh, brilliant. And yeah. what they, yeah, what they do, what they've expressed, uh, most of our families that have done this is, um, you know, this was like doing six months worth of therapy yeah. in two days. Yeah. And and to wit, um, uh, a good 65% of my current clients are client referred. So uh, I wanted to make that accessible to families who can't afford it. And so that's why I launched the, uh, uh, along with uh, my, my partner, uh, Rachel Shutt, uh, uh, we, we started the uh, family hub with, uh, with that in mind. And what we've done then is go to schools and churches and present our model and, and our intent. And so we're getting a lot of grassroots movement from there. 
uh, and we're hoping that the donors would follow suit <laughs> so that we could help as many families as we can. But and that was one of my questions. So how are you funding it? Is it through grants? Mm -hmm. Is it through private donations? Uh, uh, we're hoping for both, but uh, primarily uh, private donations. And, and we're just, we just got incorporated. Okay. And um, we're we're just getting into into um, but but it was born literally of of um, you know a desire to and a dream to help those families who can't afford uh, services because I believe that we are chasing a lot of epidemics yeah. and I believe that if we go to the the origin the, the source where you know, where families are struggling day to day and help the young children there, uh, we can eliminate a lot of epidemics. Yeah. You know, we can eliminate a lot of the behavioral issues that, and the things that are um, driving our, our care today. We're pro, we can be proactive rather than reactive. Yes, agree. Yeah. That's cyclical. Yeah you know, the cyclical trauma that's, that is happening. So, right. Right. Beautiful. Yeah. I love it. Well, yeah. again, I just think that's, that's just brilliant because like you said, you can take those 16 hours and if, especially if you're, you know, doing a lot of the work beforehand with the questionnaires and so forth, mm -hmm. you kind of dive right into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when we do these, um, usually family members, of course, come pointing the finger at an individual who is the problem or is suffering, and um, we do this in such a way that um, no one feels, uh, well, that's what we strive for, Yeah, <laughs> that no one, no one feels, um, you know, uh, accused or ambushed or... Um, uh, is the the sole focus of of the work right right yeah. very cool yeah wonderful all right um so any myths or facts that you would like to clarify for listeners um well to me the the biggest shift that i um have seen is um in my own growth is that Recovery from any issue or healing from any issue is not linear. Uh, you know, there isn't a starting point and a stopping point and it's clearly delineated. It's the way that I like to describe it is if, if you look at a tree from a distance, uh, it's nice, symmetric, it looks beautiful. Uh, you can make the assessment that it's a beautiful thing. And, but when you walk up closer to it, you, you can see the uh, trunk has been buffeted or, and and twirled, you know, swirled and and knotted, and the branches are all gnarled, and uh, leaves are consumed or in, in various stages of decay. And uh, <clears throat> but yet <clears throat> the image uh, that it produces is is a beautiful image, and so it is with with individuals recovery or healing process especially from addictive disorders i think that one of the myths that i would love to uh break is that um <clears throat> that there is a uh, a path to follow that will lead you to a certain result i think individuals each produce their own journey 
Yeah. And and it's important for me to sometimes get out of the way of that and let them find their own way. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. I you know I talk about that quite a bit because my mm -hmm. own journey has just been a crazy, <laughs> a crazy journey. Mm -hmm. But I also I love the idea of bringing in so many resources and then allowing people kind of with like this podcast offering mm -hmm. so many different viewpoints and perspectives and coping skills and healing avenues that people can then connect to that thing that really is speaking to their soul or you know there's just that thing that's like oh yeah that might work mm -hmm. well maybe it didn't work <laughs> yeah. So, yeah 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 wonderful all right well thank you sure. um so one of the questions that I love to ask, and I'm just going to throw it in, it's, it's not in the order of how I put them out there, but it just popped into my head. So if you could meet anyone, dead or alive, to help you with your journey, whether it's your personal journey, your professional journey, or both, who would it be? Gosh, you know, I, I gave that some thought, and um, I, I would have loved... Um, to spend a week with young, um, just especially during that hiatus time when he was walking the beach and kind of deciding, you know, I, I, that must have been a nice turbulent time. And during those times, I think it's when we grow the most. Um, <clears throat> in my office, I. I want to have a collage. I've been taking photography now and a collage of doors that I have taken pictures of. Uh, and, and I believe it, life is just a series of doors and sometimes they look shut and sometimes they're scary and sometimes they're uh, not very inviting or they seem not to be. So, you know, I would have loved to, um, I embrace his idea about this uh, cosmic consciousness and how no idea is really our own or uh, really new. It exists. And only when we reach a certain level of awareness can we see it, and then we discover it. Yeah. Uh, and um, so it must have been really uh, uh, an interesting time for him during that time when he was trying to decide what to do with his and with his uh, with his uh, career, with his life, and 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 so you know, recently I. Um, as I'm launching this, I'm, I'm 61 years old. And I was uh, throwing around the idea to people. It's like, you know, th this is probably the most important work I'll ever do. And I'm launching it at this age. And it, it seems disproportionate to me. You know, it, 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 I, so I'm, I'm kind of um, a little uh, afraid and, um, and then I, I ran into this, which I put on my computer. I'll read it to you. Be on the alert to recognize your prime at whatever time of your life it may occur. <laughs> so it's like, um, I, I, I think that he went through several primes in his career. And, yeah, sure. Um, and I, I totally relate to what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I'm 53, and mm -hmm. this, this is my soul work. 
I, I have the job that pays the bills, mm -hmm. but this is the thing that, um, yeah, I started it, you know, three years ago, truly. And so at 50 years old, diving mm -hmm. into this soul work and I love right. that quote. That's brilliant. Also, what popped into my head was a friend of mine years ago drew pencil drew. He's an amazing artist and pencil drew me a door. And so when we're done recording, I'm going to run and get it and show it to you because oh, nice. I love it so much. And I'm like, oh, I love it. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm constantly talking to clients about let's open that door. Let, let's walk through that door. Let's, um, let's overcome that fear. Right. And I just think that's just such a cool thing to have in, in a space where people are starting to even think about doing some healing work, mm -hmm. possibilities of opening new doors. Right. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. For sure. Awesome. All right. Um, so, yeah, tell us, now, what about your own personal story? Do you want to share any of that at all? Well, um, I believe it was Adler who um, kind of, um, you know, laid the seed for this thinking in me where, um, you know, we're moved to resolve or to heal that which was missing in our own lives, you know, when we were young. And uh, my family of origin significantly struggled. Um, both of my parents were orphaned at a very early age during the uh, polio epidemic in the Caribbean. And so they, um, they grew up in foster and less than nurturing care. Oh. Consequently, they had very little idea of how to conduct relationships or um, love, affection, nurturing, any of those things. So um, <clears throat> I'm the product of that. And um, I saw it, um, you know, with, with uh, I believe that we're all blessed with, with a certain amount of brilliance to get us through things, um, but not necessarily the most healthy um, or functional, but yeah. we make it through right. and uh, we adapt and we, um, you know, so I, I came from uh, a place where abuse was practiced and um, um, substances were struggled with. And I made myself a promise at the age of 17 that I would never do such a thing. And um, at the age of 28, there I was um, uh, repeating the same things I had been programmed to do. Right. Uh, with no blame for anyone. I mean, um, and so I caused significant damage in my own family at the time. I was a young father who had no business being a young father. Um, and, and so by the time I learned how to be a dad, I was out of a job. And, and so that has moved me to um, really, um, you know, I, I don't think I made a conscious effort but i think as you mentioned it's my soul yeah. um, it's what my soul calls for and so i want to help families overcome their difficulty without blaming or shaming or um having someone to pin something on uh, 
So I struggled with uh, significant addiction issues, uh, short-lived but terrible career in substance use um, to the point where um, September of 2002, I, I st stood in front of a, a person and a professional and uh, stated that I wanted to die. Yeah. Um, so from that point this way, um, the journey has been interesting. Um, and I've been truly blessed with uh, great mentorship, um, great opportunities, and <clears throat> some good health. Um, everything, I, I call it the, the three V's. Uh, vision, volition, and vocation all have lined up for me. Yeah. Well, that's great. And thank you for sharing. Sure. Got me choked up for just a second. I was like, oh, don't cry. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. Thank you. Um, so talk to me a little more about um, this book, this men's curriculum, Exploring Trauma, Building Resilience, because, mm -hmm. again, you know, ACES Connection, I just mm -hmm. love, I love that community. Just mm -hmm. an incredible resource um, for, for healing. Yeah, so the co-author, um, the lead author, and this is uh, Dr. Stephanie Covington, who's done amazing pioneering work for over 44 years now. Um, and she started working with incarcerated women. And the idea was how to help those women, um, you know, overcome traumatic effects. And her... Um, hypothesis at the time was, you know, these traumatic experiences are the cause for these folks being in jail. Yeah. And we're not doing any treatment for that. So she developed a uh, um, program called uh, Beyond Trauma and for women and uh, Beyond Anger and Violence to reduce uh, prison violence and help women reintegrate into the world. Um, and then she uh, asked, uh, um, she co-authored a curriculum called Helping Men Recover It with Rick Dower, who was my mentor, and Dan Griffin. And <clears throat> I, um, while I was working with adolescents, uh, adapted 10 of the sessions to uh, adolescent developmental stages. And so I started working with boys on the curriculum. And um, um, through Rick Dower, Stephanie Covington saw that and asked me if I would co-author um, the uh, Exploring Trauma Curriculum for Men. And <clears throat> my, um, my idea in developing that was, well, we could devise all kinds of ways to talk to men about trauma or to help men overcome trauma. But I think the biggest thing um, is how do we get them to the table? How do we get them to actually talk about it? And so um, the challenge was immense in six sessions. I, I had to take a group of strange strangers, men, yeah. Yeah. Uh, bond them, storm them, form them, and get them to be able to speak about their trouble and ask for help. So uh, it's not intended to heal, 
but to open the door for them to start exploring and and um, asking for help. Um, so we are currently um, in um, four prisons in California, um, the correctional um, system in Connecticut. Um, I presented the curriculum at, well, before I tell you that, I, I could say that when we started, we started at Corcoran uh, Prison in California, um, and we, we trained 12 inmates to conduct the program as facilitators wow. with the support of staff. Yeah. Um, the... Um, it was less than welcomed by the staff there at the beginning. Um, they didn't know what we were trying to accomplish. Um, and um, after uh, it was uh, studied by uh, UCLA, a couple of researchers, um, when they completed the research, um, the, uh, it showed significant impact in reduction in anxiety, reduction in conflict, um, um, self-esteem, all of these driving issues. And I could provide you with, with those studies, but the most important thing was that the staff became so enthused because it reduced their level of interventions and their uh, paperwork. Um, and they, um, uh, since then, we've expanded it to three more prisons. That's awesome. I was presenting this in California at a conference, and uh, unbeknownst to me, there was a lady there from um, who is um, uh, Lady Edwina Grosvenor in, in, of Westminster was there because she runs a um, program for men in. Uh, the UK called One Small Thing, and she operates uh, the Clink Restaurant, which is a famous five-star restaurant <laughs> inside a prison that oh civilians God. go and attend, <laughs> and um, run by the prisoners. Um, uh, and um, she asked me to come, and I've been to the UK twice to train clinicians on, on the curriculum. Um, Never in a thousand years would I've uh, imagined that in September of 2002, right? Uh, that 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 would be happening in my life. So uh, the curriculum is great. It um, again, it's not meant to go very deeply. It exposes them to ACEs, uh, the the ACE questionnaire. It exposes them to the impact of trauma and. You know, we used uh, Shapiro's uh, Big T, Little T concept. Um, and um, it, it's just a way of opening the door to, to get them to talk. And um, the greatest uh, thrill for me is that after the end of the third session is when men start saying, I think I need to talk with someone. Oh. And when it was vetted at River Ridge Treatment Center in, in Lakeville, Minnesota, um, they saw a significant spike in self-referrals for therapy for oh. men attending this group. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Oh. And we're trying to do the same thing for boys now with the uh, 
a young man's guide to self-mastery that's going to be a 12 session program and it's going to come out next year yeah i think is that 2020 is that or spring of 2020 mm -hmm. is that yeah. what i've read yeah. Okay. yeah yeah it's in editing right now and all the headaches yeah. that come with it right i know i'm finishing <laughs> up a book man it's my baby yeah. don't change it don't touch a thing right <laughs> <It's> so true <laughs> yeah oh my gosh yeah. Well, you had said before we started recording, you know, you've written some notes. Is there anything that we haven't touched on yet that you you wanted to talk about? No, I I, I have I've pretty much uh, touched on everything that I put down. Okay, yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Well, let me yeah. peek it. We're doing pretty good on time. We're good. We're only we're only a half hour in. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, um, you know, what I think you're doing is beautiful. And, um, yeah, thank you for that. And mm -hmm. so how do people get a hold of you? Well, I am, um, I have an email, rob at frre.net. Um, I will have, I have uh, rrodriguez at thefamhub.org. <laughs> um I can be, uh, I, you know, I, I don't know. I could provide you correspondence or. Right. Um, is there a website for people to? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the website is www.frre.net. That's our um, professional. And then your uh, nonprofit is uh, thefamilyhub.org. And okay. that one is being constructed even as we speak. So. Awesome. Um, that that's not going to be out for a while, but I I hope to post it on LinkedIn. I, I could be found on LinkedIn. I would probably be listed as Roberto Rodriguez on LinkedIn. Okay. Um, um, I think that's also a circular thing for me. I, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I grew up in the Dominican Republic. I was born in New York and they sent me down there when I was four, almost four years old. And okay. I stayed there till I was 12 almost. Uh, and so uh, I'm very grateful for that because those are the parent figures in my life that, that showed me really wonderful, nurturing parenting. My uncle was a storyteller and uh, he's passed now and they're both passed, but, and my aunt was a very formidable, strong woman. Um, who enunciated when she spanked me. Oh. <laughs> uh, but she loved me dearly and oh. protected me and nurtured me and took good care of me and gave me great advice. She was fond of a lot of sayings, but the one that I still stick with today um, is uh, don't just solve the problem, unwrap the gift that comes with it. Oh, yes. Yeah, I talk sure. about that. I, I think I just said that on my last podcast interview. <laughs> find when you find the gift within the chaos is how I look at it. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Yeah. A friend, my best friend from high school, um, her oldest son, who I've known, you know, obviously since he was born, he just got married and uh married a beautiful girl from the Dominican Republic for I mean, she's lived here forever, but um, and so their wedding, oh my gosh, it was so cool because she changed, she and her sister and mother changed out of, she changed out of her, um, wedding dress and they put on, um, 
these beautiful clothes that were all matching and did this dance um, with their, from, the, from the culture. Oh my gosh, like we were all mesmerized. It was beautiful. They, they looked beautiful and uh, yeah, very cool. Yeah, culture is a thing that I like to spend a lot of time talking about because it's so complex. We like to, you know, we like to simplify things. Sometimes I think we like to overcomplicate things. But in this instance, I think we make culture too simple. When, when I talk about uh, cultural diver, uh, awareness, for instance, you know, um, I, I talk about my, my wife, Patty, who when she first met me, she, now I was born in New York. Yeah. I served in the Marine Corps. Um, I would die for this country. This is my country, you know. And um, she asked me, what are you? And I said, "Uh, I'm an American. (laughs) And she says, yeah, but but what are you? And and that's how it is. So I I start, um, sometimes when I start talking about in in, uh, doing the trainings, uh, recently I was in Detroit, presenting the curriculum and uh, I I say, you know, in terms of uh, cultural awareness, let's really delve into that because the first thing that I like to do is when the men are creating their their, um, mutual agreements, you know, the rules of the group, I love it when a man says, no judgment. We're not going to have any judgment. And I say, oh, let's talk about that. Because what are the first five questions a man will ask another man when they meet him? Uh, Where are you from? What do you do? Do you like football? Are you married? What kind of car do you drive? Those are the usual questions. And what are those questions meant to do? Help me judge you. Help me make sense of you we all judge i say and we should embrace that Uh, it is a good way to get around in life make judgments Um, what we should do though is work through our judgment yes and make sure that we don't settle on our initial judgment that you know and then i give an example of a client that i really struggled with and i asked for help about and uh my team says well rob if you were your client what homework would you give you (laughs) i said well sit next to him ask him questions about himself get to know him as an individual okay got it you know and and i spent the next three groups sitting next to him and asking him questions and Nice guy, you know, my reaction was totally about me. Uh, And and so um, let's just walk, not, you know, walk through our judgment, not just settle on what we have. And and another thing that I throw out to them is, my name is Roberto Rodriguez. What am I? And, you know, they're, they're stuck. Um, and they'll say all kinds of things. Well, you came from Minnesota, so you must be Mexican. Or you, you know, oh, oh, you grew up in New York. You must be Dominican. Or, and what does that mean if right. I am? What, what does it mean? And, and what does it mean if I am um, 
an American growing up with the last name Rodriguez in uh, the barrio of New York, and uh, I like golf. Right. <laughs> you know, what, what, right? And when I was, I really, um, I had different ideas, and that caused significant conflict for me um, as a child growing up straddling two worlds. And my brother had a totally different experience in my household. And so you can't say that we're both of the same culture. And the way that I like to say uh, also is I usually will reach out and shake someone's hand and I go, we're just now forming a culture. Oh, Whatever yeah. our culture is gonna be. And so yeah. culturally, cultural awareness is one of those I guess that's one of the myths that I would like to clarify <laughs> that, um, that, you know, I, I, it's so varied where, you know, as varied as our fingerprints, right? We, we just have to walk through it and get to know and never settle on, on the truth, whatever that is. Yes. Yeah. And that's wonderful. Well, thank you. <clears throat> Very You're welcome. welcome. And I think about, you know, I'm half Irish, half German. And all I think about is, it's like everybody always says, woo, temper. <laughs> well, my my wife is German-Irish. Okay. <laughs> Last name is Weber. There you go. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> but she grew up in Nebraska, and she's one of the nicest people uh, I've ever met. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. As a matter of fact, I was thinking about that the other day. What, what, you know, what can I say about my wife in describing her? And I settled on she's nice, and that's a she's huge nice. Compliment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, she's truly a nice person. Yeah, yeah, I love that. <laughs> I, I I pray for that for my kids. I have three kids, and at night, you know, when I'm doing my prayers, and I always say, you know, just. Help them to be nice people. And that's, yeah. I mean, it's huge in, yeah. the, in this world. So, yeah. yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, again, I, I thank you for joining me and um, shining your light of hope and sharing your passion with us today. So, Thank you for having me. And thank you for what you do. Um, and, um, you know, May it spread worldwide. No, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I just wrote that today. I said, my goal is to reach a million people with stories of, of hope. Um, and you're one of them. Yeah. Well, maybe six million. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, everyone, thank you for joining us today on the Healing Place podcast. And until next time, remember, be gentle with yourself. Thanks. Bye -bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.